All right. Who's seen the Book of Eli, that movie? Okay. All right. All right. A number of people. All right. Okay. little spoiler alert here. That movie was um, uh, set in this sort of post-apocalyptic America where a lone survivor, uh, Eli, played by Denzel Washington, fights his way across a wasteland in order to protect a sacred book that holds all the secrets to saving the world. And uh, again, a little spoiler alert, it's actually a King James Version Bible, right? That's what's happening in the movie. And so you might be wondering, what on earth does this have to do with anything, especially a men's retreat uh, here for Exilic uh, Church? And the answer, um, well, honestly, not much at all. Uh, it's just the name Eli, which is short for Elijah. And uh, Elijah was actually... Did you know he was the greatest prophet, many considered the greatest prophet in the Old Testament? Uh, if you think about it, right, uh, you talk about highlight reels. First of all, Elijah never died. He never dies, right? Suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, right, and, and took him to the heavens, so to speak. Uh, but not only that, hundreds of years later, Elijah reappears on a mountain with who? With Jesus. And later on, while Jesus was literally hanging from the cross, right? We just celebrated uh, the, his resurrection last Sunday. Uh, later on, while Jesus was literally hanging from the cross, some folks actually thought that because Elijah was so great, they Jesus was calling out for Elijah's help while he was on the cross. But you know, I think the most incredible thing about Elijah was how in the New Testament book of James, it specifically says, and I think we got a slide for this, it specifically says, Elijah was a man just like who? Us. Just like us. Turn to someone next to you and say, Elijah was a man just like you. <laughs> just like you. Now think about this. Elijah never died. He reappears with Jesus hundreds of years later. People thought that Jesus was crying out for the help of Elijah. And yet, Every one of us here is just like him? What are you talking about? How are you like him? You just said to the person next to you that Elijah was a man just like you. Now turn to the, uh, the person that just said that to you and tell them how Elijah is just like you. Go ahead. Any good answers here? You're just mumbling. <laughs> Any good answers? Any, how, how is Elijah just like you? Uh, turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to 1 Kings chapter 17. Or if you got a phone, you maybe it's on the phone there. 1 Kings chapter 17. And as you do, let me just uh, say, during Elijah's day, the people of God had been under the rule of 19 consecutive evil kings for about 200 years. All right, I just want to set up the context here, okay? So for 200 years, about 200 years, uh, 
God's people were under uh, evil rule, 19 consecutive bad uh, kings, as it were, okay? And uh, just think about this for a second. America, as we know it, is just about, you know, over 200 years old, yeah? And regardless of whatever you think of the commander-in-chief at this moment, right, regardless of whether you voted for Biden or not, Regardless of uh, uh, what you think about the president before, like, can you just imagine if we had not just 19 poor leaders in a row, but can you imagine what state we would be in if we had 19 evil kings in a row? What kind of mess would we be in right now? And you're thinking, oh man, we're already in mess as it is, but what kind of even greater mess would we be in if for 200 years we had 19 evil rulers in a row, evil presidents, as it were. Now, with that in mind, that's exactly Elijah's situation, right? See, the king at that time was a king named Ahab, and the Bible says that he did more in the eyes, more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him, right? Plus, Check this out. He was married to, does anyone know who King Ahab was married to? Jezebel. Jezebel, right? A woman who historians say was the most wicked woman ever. Now, I don't know how they determined that, okay? I, I don't even want to know how they determined that. But many historians agree she was the most wicked woman ever. And so with this in mind, notice how Elijah enters the scene. This is the very first time he's ever mentioned in the Bible. It says this. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. I don't know if you understand or appreciate what's happening here, but these are fighting words. These are fighting words, yeah? Elijah's saying, hey, I don't know who you think you are. You think you're pretty bad, but listen, listen. It is not, there's not going to be a drop of rain. There's not going to be a drop of rain in this place for the next few years except at my word. By the way, I serve the living God, Yeah? And, and so, so what do you think actually happens next, right? Well, the next thing that happens is God actually tells Elijah, this great prophet, after he, he just kind of, you know, pumped his chest a little bit, right, had some fighting words, kind of dared uh, King Ahab and Jezebel. You know what God commands Elijah to do next? He says, okay, now go hide. <laughs> go hide. You believe this? These are God's instructions. This, this is a man of God. He's serving God. And he, he, he makes this bold statement. He's strong. He's courageous. Makes this bold. It takes a step of faith. Now God says, retreat. Go hide. But don't take my word for it. Verse 2 says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here. Turn eastward. And what's the word there? Right? Hide in the Kareth Ravine. East of the Jordan. Right? You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there, right? Gentlemen, do you see what's happening here? 
Rather than raise up an army to take a stand against an evil king and his, and his empire, right? God is doing here what he often does, and that is he raises up one man. Does that make sense? God is doing here what he often does is rather than raise up an army, so to speak, he raises up one man. See, sometimes God's just looking for one man, one man to obey, one man that will give his life, one man that will take a step of obedience. And so my question today to you is, is there one man here, one man here who hears the whisper of God? and is willing to obey. God often takes one man to make a big difference. But I love the way A.W. Tozer put it, and I think it's, yep, right there. He says, it is doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. It is doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. I see some of you guys jotting that down. While you're at it, let me share with you the first of two points. These are two non-negotiables for biblical manhood. Two non-negotiables for any godly man. The first thing we see in Elijah's, uh, Elijah's life is this. A godly man expects pain. A godly man expects pain. Do you expect pain? Or do you think because you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that it's all smooth sailing from here on in? Do you somehow think that if you have faith and if you obey God that it's just smooth sailing? That, it, that it's, just, it's just a cakewalk, that it's easy? Or do you actually expect pain on this side of the cross, right? There's just no way around it. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. The Christian life, honestly, it's full of pain. It's full of pain. As a matter of fact, if our own Lord and Savior did not avoid pain, well, then why should we who follow him expect otherwise? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, just jot that, that down. 2 Timothy 3, 12, it says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you want to live a godly life? Do you? You will be persecuted. This is what scripture says. These are not my words. I'm not speaking hyperbole. Scripture literally says, Paul says to Timothy, his disciple, hey, by the way, if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. I promise you that. Well, Pastor Tom, I'm, I'm, I don't feel any persecution. Are you living a godly life? Do you know that the name of the place God leads Elijah to, the Kareth Ravine in Hebrew, it actually means cut off. Cut off. In other words, the author is getting on his bullhorn here, and he's making it crystal clear. Elijah, I'm cutting you off. I'm cutting you down. 
Yeah, you're my man. I love you and I'm going to bless you. I want to use you, but I'm cutting you off. It's like God was saying to Elijah, oh, oh, you think standing up to those two diabolical characters was something? That is nothing compared to how much more I want to use you. But not before I take you through boot camp where you learn to totally depend on me because I won't use you in a mighty way publicly until I take you down privately. Never use you mightily in a public manner without taking you down first privately. This is not a nice little sermonette for Christianettes. We are talking real here, which is what makes this next verse so sweet. Verse 5 says this, So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and and he drank from the brook. Do you see this? It's the second element of a godly man. Another non-negotiable, and that is this. If you're taking notes, a godly man, number two, quickly obeys. A godly man quickly obeys. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Doesn't rationalize. Doesn't try to plan it out. In other words, there are just some things you don't even have to think about. You pray. You don't even have to pray about it. There are some things you don't have to pray about. Okay, we should be praying continually, but there are some things we don't need to pray about. You just do it. See, sometimes you just need to say, "You know what? I was wrong. I'm so sorry. I apologize." You just need to give more. Sometimes you just need to serve more. You need to love more. You need to die to yourself more. Quick obedience. The word of God simply says, so he did what the Lord had told him. And in that process, God was teaching Elijah to depend on him daily for food and water and even for rest. Pastor Gene and I were talking about this on the way over here. One of the things that we love about this passage is just how, you know, rest is a spiritual thing. Eating from the hand of God is a spiritual thing. God was teaching Elijah to depend on him on a daily basis for food and for water and for rest. So let me ask you, where is God asking you to obey him right now? It doesn't necessarily always have to be a laborious thing, right? Some of you just need to rest. Rest in him. Some of you are trying to go up to the right in life, Right? Climbing the ladder, so to speak. And it's just like, is that what God really wants you to do? Or is that you? Is that your own ambition? Because I tell you what, he probably doesn't want you to go up and to the right if it's sacrificing your relationship with him. Right? Where is God asking you to obey him right now? You don't even have to think about it. You know. You should know right away. What are the areas of disobedience in my life? Right? Is it finances? Is it saying Sorry? Is it an addiction? Relational issue? See, honestly, on my best days, I get it. I, I'm, 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 I, I, I'm like, I'm okay with, you know, what God is asking me to do. But, but, but here's where it goes a little too far for me. In fact, what we're about to read, in my opinion, 
is one of the most frustrating verses in the Bible. What, what happens next? Are you ready for this? This is what I consider one of the most frustrating verses in the Bible, and that is this. It says, verse 7 here says, Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Do you see what's happening here? Like, like, if this is me, I'm like, wait a minute. Are you kidding me? Pretend you're Elijah for a second, right? This man of God. Not more than two seconds ago, you, you busted onto the scene. Like, like in the book of Eli, that last thing where he kicks open the door, right? You bust onto the scene. You're face-to-face -face with these bad guys, right? These diabolical couple, right? Adrenaline's pumping, right? You, 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 knock, you knock it out of the park. But then... After, after that glorious highlight moment, just imagine you're Elijah and, and, and God takes you out of the game and sends you down to the miners to work on your swing. Can you imagine this? And it's like, like, like what, what, what's that new shortstop? Volpe, right? Uh, he, he just hit his first home run yesterday, right? New Jersey guy, went to Del Barton High School. That was like our, our rival, right? Just, just hit his first home run, shortstop with the New York Yankees, right? Taking after, you know, filling in Derek Jeter's shoes. Hit his first home run yesterday. But can you imagine then if Boone says, hey, you know what? Uh, way, way to go, uh, but we're going to send you down to the minors. Doesn't make any sense, right? Like, okay, like not exactly what I had in mind. And then... Once you've spent some time down there in the miners by yourself, fed by ravens, right? The brook dries up because there's no rain. And do you remember why there is no rain? It's because he's the one that said there would be no rain, right? Have you ever felt like you've given it your absolute best? Think of your own life. What is a situation where you gave it your absolute best and it only blew up in your face? I remember one time when uh, I was on a church staff where the spouses of the church staff uh, went, went on a retreat. So basically, it was a minister's wives retreat. Does that make sense? And this is something that would happen annually every, you know, every year for, for, for many, many years. Uh, the minister's wives, the pastor's wives would go on a retreat together. And this was especially fun because, you know, a lot of the pastors were men, most of the pastors were men, and it, the idea would be like the men would have to kind of rough it and, and take care of the kids. Can't say babysitting your own kids, but, you know, babysit your own kids. And so, you know, you take care of all the, you know, just the, the cleaning, the cooking, and all that stuff so that your wives, they could all have this great time together. And the idea was you wrote a letter, a love letter to your wife, right, and you gave it, like, to the leader. And then at that retreat, the, the leader would, would hand out these love letters from the respective husbands, right? Really sweet idea, awesome. And so, like, I'm like, I, I remember my first time I did this, I was like, I was like really excited, like oh, I'm gonna do a good job. I'm gonna do a good job. And my love letter was like three pages long. By the you know a couple of years later, it was like a paragraph. But anyways, you know, <laughs> three pages long. This is my first year. Right? I'm, I'm all in, right? And I, I write her this love letter, and uh, she comes back, and I, I'm taking care of the kids, and like of course, like one of them gets sick, and like all this stuff happened, and whatever. I'm doing my best, I'm doing my best, doing. My that my wife can have a great time at this retreat. Don't call mom. Like, no one call mom. All that stuff. And everything went great until the day the retreat ends and she comes back home. And honestly, I don't even remember what it was about, but like 
something happened or I forgot to do something and we just got into the biggest fight, right? Just everything just blew up in my face. It was like the biggest fight that we had that year, right? Not exactly the way it was supposed to go, yeah? Same thing happens here with Elijah. Same thing. God is, God is, he's in this same scene. You obey God, you're supposed to be blessed, right? That's what we think. Quick obedience means quick blessing, yeah? Not exactly. Not exactly. Welcome to the world of Elijah, a man just like us. And you know what? God's not done. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon. This was a foreign land outside of God's country, right, so to speak, and stay there. Yeah? Stay there. I have commanded a widow, that widows were like social pariahs, right, outcasts, uh, in that place to supply you with food, Right? And so verse 10 says, so he went to Zarephath, where he came to the town gate. A widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, "Uh, and bring me, please, a piece of bread, right? He's like, "Uh, can you make me a sandwich too, basically, right? He says to this widow, and watch her response. As surely as the Lord your God lives, right? This is not her God. This is your God. As surely as the your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, okay? I'm a widow. I'm poor. I only have a, fla- a handful of flour in a jar and a little of oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die, okay? It's awkward, right? And the only thing that can make it worse, actually, happens in verse 17 here. All right? Let's see here. Verse 17, it says, Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. Yeah? And so this, this, this poor widow's wife, right, he dies. He's dead. And she said to Elijah, What do you have against me, the the man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? I mean, think about this, right? Things have gone from bad to worse, and Elijah didn't ask for any of this, right? I mean, who made the brook dry up in the first place? God. Who told Elijah to go to this poor widow? God. Who holds life and death in his hands? God. Yet who finds himself in this deep dish, dish, ditch? Elijah, right? And now notice the the desperation in his voice. Then he cried out to the Lord, oh Lord my God, have you brought brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, oh Lord my God. Let this boy's life return to him. Friends, have you ever been in this place? Like, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? Stop the bleeding, please. Have you ever been in this place? What do you do when life dries up and the only one that can deliver you from the dry brook is the one who brought you there in the first place? 
right? What do you do when God leads you to dryness? Because, oh, by the way, that's what he did with the people of God as they traveled through the wilderness. Uh, Scripture says in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit actually led Jesus also into the wilderness to be tempted. This is not a foreign thing. What do you do when God is the one that leads you to the dry place? What do you do when God leads you to dryness? So I'm right now, I want to talk to that one guy here who maybe married his dream girl, but now, now today, for some reason, somehow, someway, you feel trapped. You feel lifeless. You feel like maybe you got duped. Or the one guy here whose career was going up and to the right, but for reasons still unknown, the economy, maybe COVID, whatever, you got laid off or you got passed up on a promotion. Someone who definitely did not deserve it. Maybe someone who even took your credit got promoted ahead of you, right? What do you do? See, in all these areas of our lives where God leads us to a brook, it, 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 you know, at first it's amazing, right? We have plenty to eat, plenty to drink, but then somehow behind the scenes things changed and that same brook has now dried up. Can you think of an area or a place or a time in your life where that's happened? At one time, that brook was a source of life, but now that same brook that you were led to by God is dried up. Where is a place of dryness that God has led you to? Again, for some of you, it might be in your dating relationship, in your marriage. For others, it's your job, maybe your health. For others of you, maybe it's your, your young dad. And you feel like it was so much joy at first. There was so much anticipation, but now it's just like you don't even know how you're going to make it. Maybe it's your sense of purpose and direction in life. What is it for you? What's the one area in your life where you feel like God has intentionally allowed things to dry up? If you're taking notes, go ahead and jot this down. Where has your brook dried up? As you jot that down, I'm going to ask, go ahead, if we have Pastor Gene. Uh, Pastor Gene's going to hand everyone here a bag, a little, a little lunch bag here, and in it is some potting soil, and it represents dried up dirt, okay? Uh, a brook dried up, right? I want to give you something tangible uh, in your hands, and also inside of it is a little post-it note. And when you get this, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that post-it note out, and I want you to write what area. It could be two, three words. It could be one sentence. It could be one word. Where has your brook, what area of your life has your brook dried up? This was once a rich, life-giving source, uh, a, a wonderful streaming brook, but now it's all dried up. And I want you to take a minute. I'm going to give you a minute as this is passed out. I'm going to give you a minute and allow you to acknowledge before God, God, honestly, here's where I feel like things have dried up in my life. And I don't get it. Spiritually, relationally, maybe physically, financially. And it's like, God, I know that you brought me to this brook. 
and, and I know that it was once good and full of life, and I know that it was, it was a source of life and vitality, but today I find it, I'm just, it's dried up. Why would you bring me here? Why, why, I'm asking for your help. So take a moment right now and identify. This is just between you and God. This is not, you're not I'm not going to ask you to share it with anyone. What is that area? Oh, pen. Some some guys need pens. Maybe share a pen. Those around you. Where has God led you? I was once a place of such blessing, such goodness, such life, vitality. You were excited, you were at peace, had joy. And today, that same place is a place of dryness. Where has your brook dried up? Give you another minute to do that. As you're doing that, the band can getting up here and close this out. Where has your brook dried up? See, because guys, if you were to read the rest of Elijah's story, you would notice that not only does God used Elijah immediately to bring that little boy back to life, but God continues to use Elijah mightily in the rewriting the entire story of his people. But not before Elijah is brought to a brook that dries up and he's so devastated and it's only afterwards he realized he realized best is still to come, right? Men, here, here's my encouragement to you. Don't abandon God at your dried up brook. Whatever you identify, don't abandon him there. He has not abandoned you. You feel like he has abandoned you because your brook is dried up, but he has not abandoned you. So you don't abandon him. No, in fact, be encouraged because. He may just be starting. He may just be cultivating a deeper work inside of you at your dried up brook to use you for the rest of your life, just like he does for Elijah. The best is truly yet to come. He cultivates his deepest work at the place of the dried up brook. So don't be surprised by pain. Obey quickly and identify your dry brooks. It is actually the starting place for some of God's finest and deepest works inside of you and through you. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, it, Lord, even in just talking to some of these guys, Lord, there, there's a certain level of disillusionment, Lord. We, we feel like we were called to this place, uh, to this relationship, uh, to this job. It was once a place of, of life and joy and peace and satisfaction. Uh, but all of a sudden, that same place is now this dried up brook. And it seems like death, and it seems like pain, and it seems like just all these things that we don't want. Lord, I pray for each man here, whatever that might be, and the more dry that brook might be, Father, I pray that you would help each man to realize that pain on this side of the cross is part of the equation. Not for pain's sake, not to be masochistic or, or martyrs, uh, but it is actually part of the equation. And Lord, if your spirit is beckoning them, if you are uh, asking them to take a step of obedience in a certain way, help these men to obey quickly and help them not to abandon you in these dry brook places, for you have not abandoned them. Lord, open our eyes to what you are doing in our midst. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.